I want you to turn in your Bibles to John, the 15th chapter. John 15, this is what the Lord put on my heart for our church family for this year, for, uh, for 2017. Uh, for us, we just feel like it's time for us to get back to biblical basics. Um, with all the turmoil and everything that's happening in the whole world, and then the chaotic situation of the United States, then you break it down and come all the way down to what's happening, the battles here in Pennsylvania, then bring it down to regionally, <laughs> what's happening uh, just between the uh, in, in between east and west shore of Harrisburg. Uh, then you come even further down to what's going on in our communities. Then go further in our own households. And then even further in our own hearts. I feel like it's time to get back to Bible basics. I'm one of those people who is, um, I do kind of look at what's going on in the world through social media and news and things like that. Um, we pretty much don't have, uh, we don't watch much television in our house, not because we're deep and spiritual, but we found it a waste of money to keep trying to pay a cable bill and everything, you don't hardly watch anything. <laughs> Anybody understand? I'm not trying to be deep and spiritual, it's just there's nothing to watch. Uh, and so, <laughs> but, I, but we do kind of peek out on social media because you know you can still keep up with the news with the way today's technology is through the internet. You can still stay pretty much up to date with what's going on. But I find that every time a crisis hits, uh, this nation or our region or in our own families, in our own lives, we, we got a lot of opinions that are expressed, uh, opinions expressed with very little understanding, very little wisdom. There's a lot of information that's out there, but there isn't a lot of wisdom. There isn't much, of course there isn't any perspective of, of God and, uh, and what people perceive the church to be is nowhere near what the true church is. They've been exposed to so much religion that they don't know the difference. They don't know that every building that has a cross and a steeple on it is not necessarily something of God. They don't know that there's a difference between a live, uh, breathing uh, body of believers and some dead organism, organization that really gathers for social meetings each week. <laughs> they don't know that there is a difference. So whenever there's a crisis, there's all kinds of opinions and things that are brought out and stated. In fact, some of you have found yourselves in conflict with family members, siblings, cousins, aunts, uncles, as they make statements about the Bible. Right now, the Bible's uh, validity is being challenged like never before, challenging if whether the Bible is, was even uh, inspired of God, or was it just men, was it, was it just people? Sadly, a couple of weeks ago, I came across a Facebook posting of a young African-American pastor who says he's walking away from the pulpit, pulpit because he can no longer teach the Bible because he has discovered that there is no 
uh, archaeological and historical evidence that the Bible is even true, that every character in the Bible is just something that was made up by Europeans in the in 300-something A.D., and, and it's all fantasy. From Jesus through Joseph and Noah and Abraham, all of it was just made-up stories. None of it is real. And so when you see postings like that, I want you to understand that's the point of view of more than just one person. One person stating something like that is the view and opinion of not only thousands, but tens of thousands, even millions. And especially among my people, African Americans. And so it's really critical at this time that, uh, that we get back to fundamental Bible basics. What we've learned is that be, uh, we can no longer just go in and start talking with people about the promises of God and some of the deeper things of God because they don't even have a basic understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and why he came. And so this year, I said all that to say this year the Lord has told us to get back to Bible Amen. basics. What does it mean to be saved? <laughs> you know, because everybody's saved today. We see it on every time there's an award show, whether it's the country music awards or the gospel music awards or the R&B awards or the pop music awards, artists get on there after they've had all kinds of crazy lewd uh, videos and songs and performances and they stand up and they receive their award and they say, I want to thank God. So everybody refers and gives God thanks and all of that. So now you're looking at a generation where God is whoever, whatever you feel, want him to be. He, she, it, the force. <laughs> so when we stand up and we talk about, or we try to engage in conversation about Jesus, many, many people many really do they feel that you are about to take them into a manipulation ploy remember how when someone would start to talk to you about some type of pyramid scheme some get rich scheme and you would go no 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 i don't want to get involved in that well that's how jesus is perceived today when you say jesus this is just another get rich scheme and i believe that's directly connected to the strong and powerful movement that swept our country about prosperity gospel. Yes. yes, God wants us to be prosperous, but when you attach salvation to prosperity, then the only reason why you're getting saved is so that you can become rich, and therefore it's nothing more than a get-rich-quick scheme. Wow. So now you can see why the Lord would say, get back to basics. Get back to what I meant with what I said. And so I find many of us, even in our, those of us who are more mature in the things of God, sometimes we struggle because of things that we have been taught, things that have been said to us, uh, even if not verb, verbatim, even if not word for word, but by demonstration. And now that we've entered into this season in America in particular, it's very difficult to navigate where we are because of so many concepts and things that we have been taught. 
and that we have received. And so it's like, get back to square one. Ever done that? You know, how did I get to where I am? So get back to square one. Uh, I, I kind of liken my walk to the Lord to our GPS. Uh, you know how sometimes it tells you your turn is coming in 600 feet, then 400 feet, then 100 feet, and then you, and then you don't turn. <laughs> yeah, you don't turn, and then it goes quiet. It's recalculating and redirecting and all of that. And there are many believers who have not followed what the Holy Spirit told them to do. And they're in that moment of, re of silence. Not that God is recalculating, but there is a moment of silence that we all experience when we're disobedient, when we don't do it the way God said do it. And so sometimes we have these periods where it's like, well, I go to church, but the sermons don't seem to be for me. And I'm not being fed anymore. Well, the reason why it doesn't seem like it's connecting is because you're out of sync. God's not out of sync. You are. And so sometimes in our talking and sharing with people, my wife and I, as we've sat down and talked with folks who have said things like that, uh, I don't seem like I'm hearing from God anymore. And, you know, and they're really getting real close to walking away from the church, walking away from the things of God. And we've always asked this one question. What was the last thing God told you to do? I guarantee you that if you go all the way back to the last thing he told you to do and you do that, everything's going to just open up. <laughs> Everything will open up. Suddenly, the praise and worship will have significance and the exhortations will have meaning again. Why? Because you went back and to square one and got back on track with what God, the last thing he spoke. I found that uh, unlike our education system, God doesn't allow us to skip steps. <laughs> when he says line upon line and precept upon precept, he means that. He's not going to add on another line until you get the last line. He's not going to present another precept until we accept and receive the last precept. Otherwise, it'll become very confusing, which is what has happened for the most part, personally, I believe, to many in America in particular. We've tried to add on precepts of prosperity and, and, um, and all kinds of things without understanding the foundation first. Prosperity is supposed to be connected to purpose. Purposeless prosperity leads to prodigals. Let me say that again. Purposeless prosperity leads to prodigals. What does the word prodigal mean? It doesn't just seem, it doesn't only mean a person who wanders away from God. The word prodigal literally means wasteful. When you hear the parable uh, about the father who had two sons and one son was a prodigal, that word prodigal means wasteful because the son didn't understand the purpose for his inheritance. He wasted it. And we have had a lot of waste. We've had a lot of prodigals who never left the church building. They didn't leave, but they were wasteful. Why? Because they went in pursuit of God's hand, not his face. They picked up on a precept without getting the precept that goes before that precept. <laughs> 
or shall I say they picked up a concept without the precept. Those of you that went to uh, the member in high school and uh, college, how there were some courses you couldn't take until you took the prerequisite course first. Why? There's no way in the world you're going to jump into, into um, algebra 2 and intermediate algebra and trigonometry unless you first, they'll tell you, you've got to take freshman algebra 1 first. Don't even think about enrolling in 2 and intermediate and trigonometry until you take the first one. But what has happened is many believers have been introduced to higher level education in God but they didn't get the ABCs. And so we're off trying to spell words and, and live out sentences and whole books and never got the ABC. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. A foundational We've got to start there. So can you see the disaster that it has led to of many people who have tried to move forth into great things and never got the first one? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things shall be added. So what do you suppose what happens when people jump on the all these things shall be added part? And you skip the seek first. And so that's what I mean. So when the GPS tells them to go in this direction and that direction, then they won't do it because I'm after the all these things that must be added. But the GPS said, let's start with turning here so we can deal with what the kingdom is. Seek first the kingdom. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. And let me take you on the journey to have those revealed in your heart and in your home. And what we've so wonderfully learned is that when we do that, then all the things that the rest of the world is striving for, when Jesus made that statement, he was answering a question about how are we going to take care of ourselves? What are we going to eat? Where are we going to sleep? Where are we going to wear clothes? We got we to gotta live life. I got to take care of things. I got to feed my family. He was answering that question. And he said, that's what all, every, the whole world, the Gentile, everybody's striving for that. But you strive for seeking and chasing after and pursuing my kingdom. What does he mean by kingdom? The rule, R-U-L-E, and the reign, R-E-I-G-E-N, the reign of God, submitting myself to the rulership and the reign and the government of God. Amen. So I don't live my life pursuing getting my bills paid and taking care of myself. I pursue, God, what's your will yes. every day? What it, what's your purpose? What's your plan for me today? He said, if you do that, then I'll just throw in. i just throw in what you're going to need to take care of yourself. 
Isn't that awesome? So we end up on these other pursuits. And he said, now what does John 15 have to do with all of this? <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say John 15 has a lot to do with showing how God has committed himself to his people's process. I, one of the things that we share uh, and have shared with our, with our church families is that God is committed to people, he's committed to process, he's committed to purpose. And you see how much God is committed to people when you look at the parables in Luke 15. That's where you see Jesus giving the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Remember that? That's showing us how much God is committed to us. The, the parable of the lost coin, that was the woman who lost one coin off of her wedding necklace. That's what that was about. It was a wedding necklace and lost one, one piece on it. And she tore up the house. Let me put it in 21st century language. She tore up the house. See, I have to say it like that, then you get it. <laughs> Trying to find that one piece. And what Jesus was sharing, he said, this is what my father is like. That's what he was sharing, and that's what he was showing. This is what my father is like. It's like if a woman lost one piece on her wedding necklace, He'll tear up everything trying to find that one. That's how much he's committed to us. He gave the parable of the shepherd who went after the one lost sheep. He said, that's how my daddy is. Yep. He'll go after, find the one. Then he told the story of the father who had two sons. We always say it's the parable of the prodigal son, but actually it's the parable of the father. That story is not about the sons. It's about the father. Because that's what it opens up with. He said, a certain man had two sons. It doesn't open up with a son had a father and a brother. It says a certain man had two sons. And it tells us how the sons responded to their father. All of that is a story about the father. He said, this is how God is. This is how my father is. He will let you waste everything that he even gave you. Isn't that something to hear? He'll let you waste what he gave you and still be waiting for you. He doesn't hold a grudge if you misuse his resources. He loves you so much that he'll still be there Amen. waiting for you. Not if, when you come to your senses and you're ready to come home. So God's committed to people. Then he goes on in John 15, and that's where I want to take you today. John 15 talks about how God is committed to the process that it takes for his people to grow up <laughs> and to become fruitful. I'll read it. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, and we're all very familiar with this. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I'll tell you in a minute why that's so important that he said, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, this version says he takes away, and every branch, every branch that, that bears fruit 
he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, I've got to stop right there because this is important. How many of you have, and I don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have been told that if you're not fruitful, God's going to cut you off? If you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off. And that is because most of us have been exposed to this passage of scripture from a condemnation standpoint, from a condemnation perspective, but not from the encouragement and exhortation that Jesus intended for this verse to be. Wow. Now, here is the reason why I'm sharing this with you. When you go back to the Greek language, the word takes away is a Greek word that's pronounced I-E-R-O. It's spelled uh, um, A-I-R-O, just like it's sounded out. Don't you love it? Sometimes I love the Greek because it's just so obvious. <laughs> um, and it, it, that's the primary root of that word, and it means to lift up. It means to lift up. It means figuratively to raise up or to keep in suspense, like holding something up, suspending it in the air. Now, why is that important? Because when we apply the correct definition of that word, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll just say this while I'm at it, that word has four basic meanings. First meaning means to lift up or to pick up. Number two, it has a figurative meaning, meaning to lift up, like lifting your eyes or lifting your voice. The third meaning means to lift up with an added thought to kind of suspend it. And then the fourth definition means to remove. But even what that word remove is not talking about the removal of the branch. It's talking about what you remove from the branch. Doesn't that change everything already? In other words, he's saying, if anyone in me that's not fruitful, I will lift up. And anything on that branch that's keeping it from being fruitful, I will remove. Jesus never intended for this, ex this scripture to be a threat. If you're not fruitful, you're going to be cut off. This was supposed to be an exhortation. If you're not fruitful, I'm going to lift you. And everything that's on you that's keeping you from being fruitful, I'm going to remove it. This was never meant to say I'm going to remove the branch. It was always meant to say I'm going to lift the branch and I'm going to help it grow. Wow. Most scholars interpret that word lifts in this in lift they lift they interpret it as the word lifts up in this verb in this uh, particular verse. In fact, you'll find that in the uh, book of John, there's at least eight times that this word is used, and the same term is used with the same sense of lifting and not a sense of judgment. It was always used as a term of lifting, not judgment. Why am I sharing this? Because sometimes you come to these places in your life uh, where it's like, God, I want to grow. 
and I want, I, I want to, I want to be more mature. But the weight that we feel is, I don't want you to cut me off, Lord, because I'm not as fruitful as I need to be. Anybody ever felt that? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not as fruitful as I need to be. And where did that weight of condemnation come from? Because a lot of times that's what, how we were introduced to the things of God. It was always under threat. If you don't mature, if you don't grow, and they pointed to John 15 and said, and if you're not fruitful, here's the word it says, he's going to cut you off. He's going to take it away. And that's not what the passage meant. A little bit of historical evidence. Fallen vines in, Val in Palestine were lifted with meticulous care and allowed to heal. It was a normal practice. Those of you who, I'm talking to a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's true. You don't spend the time cutting, it's what you're cutting off of the vine. Not cutting the vine. Oh, this one's not working. No, you're taking things off that are keeping it from being as fruitful as it needs to be. And in Palestine, it was a normal practice. If a vine wasn't growing very well, you take it, whatever, maybe it's on a lower part of the trellis. So you shift it, you lift it, and put it up at a higher level where it can receive better sunlight. And the sap will flow better if I change its position. That's what John 15 is about. It might even be laying on the ground. So if I find a branch that's laying on the ground, it's fallen off the trellis, or it's not as fruitful as it should be, what he is actually saying is, I'm going to shift your position. Yes. I want you to remember this the rest of your life. Now you see why the Lord is telling us, go back to basics. In order for us to move into 2017 successfully and in the years to come, we've got to get back to finding out what did Jesus actually mean by what he said, not by what the condemnation-led pastor always taught me. A lot of us, our foundations in Scripture was, came out of condemnation messages. And even when they thought they were encouraging us, they were just giving us more weight, more chains, more bondage, when that's not what Jesus meant at all. And this is one of those places. I, I did a, I, I went and looked up on Home and Garden, something called How to, how, how to Do Things. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell the farmers, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> but I'm going to confirm what you already know. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you have to do when you have a vine, it says, is build a trellis where the grapes are planted, and that's gonna provide support to the grapes and will also help the fruit to be lifted away from the soil, because you guys already know this. If the fruit grows near the soil, you will be surprised that they will turn rotten easily. 
So you have to lift it up away from the soil. Wouldn't that be more consistent when Jesus was talking about, this is how my father is. My father is so committed that he'll tear up the house to find the missing coin. My father is so committed that he'll go out and look for the one lost sheep. My father is so committed that he'll wait for that wasteful son to come back home. Then why would the father then suddenly present it as a vine dresser who will cut off any unfruitful branch? It's inconsistent. That's not the way he presented his father. Now, he said, my father is the vine dresser. That's why I said it that way. My father is the, this is the same father who's committed to people like that. He's also the vine dresser. I did a, I went and looked up uh, something online and I found this gentleman who, he had the same questions that I did uh, about a vine dresser. So he actually went to a vineyard uh, in California and he met a gentleman who told him, my father is the only person that is able to prune and deal with the, uh, the vines. He said, my father's 80 something years old he, even though he turned the business over to me, he said the tradition is only the father does the pruning of the vines. Even though he's trained us and all, all of us, we can do it and everything, but because he was the one that originally planted it. He is the only one that still does any of the pruning, the father. So when Jesus said that, he was speaking directly to a normal cultural process and understanding that vine dressers all had anyway. The father's going to be the one. And here's another one. He said, and then don't prune and do all this shifting and everything all the time. He said, once a year, he said, he said, somewhere January, February of each year out there in California, that's when they do all the pruning and all that stuff. It's not all the time. That's, but he's the one that goes out and he'll do it. So Jesus was being on the nose, on target with how they did things, how they actually raise grapes and olives <laughs> and how they handled vines of any type. And I'm sharing that with you today because I wanted you to know, let me just continue. Um, I know that there are questions that comes up when you hear, some, hear a message like this, like, well, then why did Jesus curse that fig tree? It wasn't fruitful, so why did he curse that fig tree? Well, I'll, I'll answer that question for you. Because uh, many of you have heard, you know the story. And Jesus was walking and saw in the distance there's this, he was hungry, so he goes to the fig tree and it's not, it didn't born any fruit. So he curses it. And so many pastors have said, see, there's the proof that if you're not fruitful, you're going to be cut off. You're going to be cursed. The next day when the disciples saw that the tree that Jesus had cursed that it was withered. They, 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 were, you know, they were amazed. Like, wow, it happened. And of course, Jesus wasn't amazed. But here's why you know that this was not a statement about fruitfulness. 
when they asked him about it, Jesus' answer was, have faith in God. This was not a fruitfulness lesson. This was a faith lesson. I spoke to this tree. And then he goes on to say, and the same will be for you. You'll be able to speak to the mountain and tell it to be cast into the sea and it'll happen. The fig tree was a lesson in faith. It was not a lesson about fruitfulness. In fact, the issue wasn't that wasn't merely that the tree hadn't borne fruit. It was that it was out of season. It wasn't fruitful at a time that it should have been. So it wasn't a lesson about fruitfulness. I love putting scripture in balance and perspective. You know why this is so important? Because as we're ministering in Harrisburg, especially since we're working with, my wife and I are working with a lot of uh, young ladies, 30s, 40s, and their children, people have so much messed up doctrine that they have received in their lives that we have just, our personal experience has been, it's been, almost been like the number one reason why they've walked away from God and don't go to church anymore. Because they went in, they were taught these things, and when they tried to live it out in real life, it didn't work. And how many of you know, if you're trying to do some, live out something that you're taught from the scriptures and it doesn't work, Something's wrong, and you're going to do just like we're watching happening in this generation. They're abandoning the faith because they think there's something wrong with the Bible. They think there's something wrong with Christianity. They think there's something wrong with God when, no, the issue is we haven't presented God in truth. We presented things that were told to us. They told us that the fig tree story was about us failing to be fruitful, so we're going to be cursed. They looked at John 15 and said, if you're not fruitful, you're going to be cut off. And therefore, people have been striving to try to be fruitful. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I want you guys to tell me what bit of fruit that you have uh, that that tree or that vine put forth the effort on its own to make that happen. Be fruitful. I'm a vine now. Be, be fruitful. I can't make it happen myself. It has to be, it has to do with the vine dresser. It's the responsibility of the vine dresser to put you in a position to be fruitful. The trees, the vines, the plants cannot keep away the, the, the pest and the animals. They can't do that. Whose responsibility? That's the farmer. That's the vine dresser. That's the responsibility of the one who planted them in the first place. Wow. So once again, say, thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many of you already received some freedom already? Just knowing I'm not going to get cut off. <laughs> now does this an excuse to not be fruitful no but what I'm getting at is just to show us here is God's perspective that when we're not fruitful if we're in a place where we're not fruitful 
Some of you, that's why you're here now at Cumberland Valley Church, because you were not bearing fruit where you were before. So God shifted you on the trellis and put you here so that you could bear fruit. Sometimes our jobs have changed. You know, God, why are you changing my job? I love that old job that I used to have. No, you weren't fruitful there. You were comfortable there, but you weren't fruitful there. How many of you have had God shift you and put you on a different place in a different position? It was uncomfortable. I'm, I don't have much of a green thumb. My wife does much more than me. But I've watched her move plants around, and I've seen plants that were kind of growing you know, in strange directions, and I've watched her put, you know, put a stick, that's all I know, put up a stick and tie them to, to make it grow straight. And God will do that with us. The way you want to grow, the way you want to do things, he'll take you and tie you so that you grow and we're uncomfortable. It's not the way I want to grow. I don't want to grow that direction. It's easier if I do it this way. See how I'm doing that? It's easier if I grow this way. And he keeps putting us straight. In. Or if we're one of those vines that drops to the ground. I'd rather be on the ground. It's cool down here, but you don't get any sunlight down there. So I've got to shift you and put you up higher on the trellis where the sun's going to shine right on it. What, what I mean by the sun, the light of God's word. But I don't want all that light because when the light comes, then, oh, I have to live what you're showing me. And that's why it's so necessary. But it's his responsibility. The vine dresser says, nope, you can't stay on, on the ground. Nor can you hide under other vines. <laughs> I'd rather bask in the shade of others <laughs> in other words they got the revelation from God and I'd rather just let them tell me what God said no instead of finding out for myself Amen. so God said nope 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 I'm going to take you out from underneath the shade of somebody else and I'm going to put you up here where you can get the sunlight direct for yourself but we don't like that process it's uncomfortable, but we're going to bear fruit. And then for the ones of us who really are already bearing good fruit, doing really good. And he says, and I'm going to prune you anyway. What? <laughs> Again, I'm not much of a green thumb. That's always baffled me. And I'm like, if it's doing good, you know, my motto was all, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix, fix it. But obviously you farmer and green thumb people think, no, it, if, it's, if it's growing Let's get some more. <laughs> Let's get more out of this. And the way we're going to get more is by cutting stuff off. Now, see, I'm not a green thumb. I don't know. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. What do you mean cut it off? <laughs> I'm going to prune. I'm like, no. But that's part of the process. Even when you're doing good, that's what happened to us. We were doing fine in St. Louis. I mean, fine. We weren't thinking about being senior pastors and leaders like that. Like, we're good. We're over the young people, the youth, the young adults, the media ministry. I'm cool. I'm fine. We're fruitful. What? I mean, have you been there? 
almost hate using that word comfortable. God, I'm comfortable where I'm you because you already know when you say that change is coming. I'm cool, God. I'm comfortable where I am. <laughs> that means pruning is coming. He dug us up and transported us. <laughs> right. He did much more, right? Dug us up, transported us, and then got us here and then pruned. <laughs> but all of that is part of, I guess you may, you may say, well, Pastor Chris, why are you even getting into all of that? Because these are part of the foundational stuff that will transform us and change us so that tomorrow morning when you get up, you're not thinking from a condemnation standpoint. Now tomorrow becomes, okay, Lord, whatever repositioning that you need to do in me, I say yes. I can't make myself be fruitful. I know I need to be more fruitful, but I can't make that happen. So I'm just yielding myself to you. So if you need to reposition me on the trellis, if that means uh, you're repositioning some of the relationships in my life, repositioning the job that I'm on, repositioning me, and if I have to move to another place, Lord, whatever it's going to take. My wife can hear something. <laughs> Come on, dear. I'm going to pull her into this message. <laughs> I, I was thinking even concepts, because yeah. he talked about even um, having... Um, uh, being able to rightly divide the word. Um, there, there may be, even be concepts that we have accepted that need to be changed. Um, uh, they may even need to be thrown away, cut off completely. And um, having um, God's viewpoint uh, um, um, replacing that wrong belief, that wrong way of thinking, that wrong way of living. Amen. Amen. Come on, bless the Lord. <laughs> now you know why I like her. So I want you to see this today, and I want to wrap this up right now. God is committed to you. God is committed to see you through the process of conforming us into the image of his son. He's committed to that. So he's just looking for us to just say, yes, Lord, to yield. When I say yield, that means surrender on the inside. Lord, since you're committed to me that way, then I yield to you. I surrender to you. The shiftings that you are making, and that's what I sense for 2017. 2017 will be a year where we will be shifted to different positions on the trellis. Some of you are going to be straight up picked up off the ground and put on the trellis and tied to it. And it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for a while because you're not accustomed to growing in this position in this way. But it's God. Don't resist it. I sense the Lord saying there have been times past that he's, he's been try, he has tried to shift you and, and change your routine. Some of you, he's been telling you to uh, quit being so quick to turn on the television. Don't, don't turn to the TV in moments of loneliness and frustration. No. Get with him. He's shifting you. Whole new concept. Whole new lifestyle. 
go with the flow that he has brought into your life. Thank you, Lord. He's shifting your concept, as, the, as my wife said, things that the way you thought God thought about you. 2017 will be the year where you will have a fresh revelation of the love of God and just how committed God is to you. What I've learned since being ministering in Harrisburg is that so many people have been preached to about how much we need to be more committed to God, and that's a necessary message, but the prerequisite is first understand how committed God is to us. See what I mean? We've all been taught the second part first. Be more committed to God. Be more committed to God. But I found that the power to be more committed to God was in step one, revelation of how much he's committed to me. I love him because I found out he first loved me. Isn't that awesome? Come on, bless the Lord. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the shifting on the trellis. We thank you, Lord, for this new way of looking at you, this fresh way of looking at the Father as the vine dresser. Thank you, Lord God, that you are committed to our fruitfulness. We thank you, Lord. And we say yes, yes to you. Even in the midst of our trial and our turmoil and our pain, the answer is yes to you, your way. And Lord, we're trusting you that where there are, where there's pestilence, <laughs> where there's disease that would try to come upon the fruit and the vine, we trust the vine dresser. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that heals us, that drives out all of the pestilence. We thank you, Lord. Aren't you glad that God don't have to use pesticide on us? <laughs> you drive it away. You heal us. And we bless you today. 2017 is going to be an awesome year. It will be the year that we shall bear fruit and our fruit shall remain. Amen. Come on, bless the Lord.